imprint. In a white room, in a white ward, all is kindness. It saturates their looks, their words, their gestures. I have four mothers here. They touch my arm, hold my hand, fetch me tea, call me love. I wish they wouldn't. Now, the ultrasound. For an instant, I think I see it. Momentary imprint, a spark of life in this neutrality. Hello and welcome to another episode of Poetry Tears. Today we're joined by Millie. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you want to go ahead? Yeah, so your alias is Millie, but your full name is Catherine Millington. And uh, you're a poet, teacher and careers advisor raised in Doncaster and based, based in Sheffield. Uh, you run Nine Lives Poetry, that's charity and open mic night, bringing poetry to the people and nurturing emerging poets. And uh, Millie has been shortlisted for the Britport Prize and her claim to fame is that she was <laughs> Toria Garbutt's English teacher. Was, and yes. you're the author of uh, the pamphlet Imprints by Fun Press. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. hi, Millie. I can, I can wave <laughs> it. Look, there we are. There it is. <laughs> also, you have the. You found the the printed yes. copy then. <laughs> um, yes, I've got a printed copy, but this isn't um, this isn't what I read from. I normally read from. If I show you, um, th- this is like me writing ideas down mm. for the questions. So when I perform normally, my poems are very large on the page. I have a, a book with them printed out really big, so I can read them normally. So yeah, I th- this is kind of tabbed up for knowing. This was from yesterday when I did a book launch, just so I knew which bonds I was reading. Yeah, that normally I, I read from like a, a book that I've handwritten my poems in because I, I find that hard to, to read. Yeah, and how did the book launch go? We were going to tune in. Uh, you did it online yeah. as well, didn't you? It did, yeah. Yeah, it was really good, um, I think. Um, it, we did it online. Um, one of the reasons was because um, my poems are about involuntary childlessness. Um, there is a network called um, Gateway Women. Um, there's like a kind of a, a website called, uh, it's called Lighthouse Women. That it's like Facebook for, for um, involuntarily childless women. Um, and a lot of the guys on there are in Australia and America and all over the place. So we thought, well, if we did it online, then they might be able to access it as well. Um, did they? So yeah, I I I enjoyed it anyway. <laughs> so hopefully the people did as well. Yeah. Yeah. Did they tune in from that group? Did they? Yeah. Yes, there were. Yeah, there were some people who who did make it. Yeah, which is really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. This, has it been a long time coming? This publication. Um. How 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 do you mean? Has it taken quite a while to put it together, or did the publishing um, process to, happen to quite fast? Sorry, the the sound went a bit weird then. Did the publishing process go quite fast, quite rapid, or was it quite a while to come out? Um, it's hard to know because I've I've never done it before. But um, I don't I I think I mean in terms of me writing the poems, I wrote the vast majority of the poems between uh, twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. 
Um, there are two in there that are much older, um, which are Imprint, which I'm, I'm reading later, and, and House Sitter. Um, they were from 2012, 2013, and then the rest of them all kind of came in a bit of a sort of, sorry, I'm miming a vomit there, which is not, not nice, is it really? But it kind of was a bit of a sort of poetic vomit, if, if there is such a thing, um, onto the page. So I, I sent them to um, Scarlett at Fawn Press in 2022 when her submission window was open. So it's it's been, it's been pretty quick, really, because, you know, she has an order that she wants to publish in, and there's obviously the editing process and everything. So... Yeah, it's been pretty fast, to be honest. <laughs> mm. Yeah, less than a year. So have you started writing 10 years ago in, in 2012? or? Um, yeah, so it was kind of, kind of then, yeah. I mean, um, we touched on my claim to fame as Toria Garbett's English teacher. Um, so I, wa- I was an English teacher. I've, I've not, I left teaching oh, a long time ago, about 20 years ago now. But I, I always, I've always worked with young people. I love working with young people and I love... Uh, the thing that I work for is the, that that thing where someone just goes, ding, and they've got it. So I'm hoping to kind of do more more teaching um, of creative writing and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've always read poetry. I should say, say that as a disclaimer. I mean, I'm saying... I, I mean, it is true I did write most of these from 2020 to 2022, um but I've always read poetry I've always loved poetry from being a kid really um I went on an Arvin foundation course in 2006 it's a long time ago and it was a starting to write short stories and poetry course and I was like short stories so I was I I decided that I was going to be um David Sedaris if you've ever seen any of his work he's an American short story writer um check him out he's very funny his surname is s-e-d-a-r-i-s for sugar uh, david sedaris um so yeah he writes kind of vignettes about exciting moments in his life he's a bit like garrison keeler is, is that kind of writer so i thought i was going to do that um and what actually happened was all it was just poetry everything I wrote was everything I was interested in was just poetry um <laughs> you didn't choose it, it chose you <laughs> yeah kind of and in like a classic poetry way I then did nothing for six years um <laughs> despite thinking I'd, I'd write something um so I went on a university it was like a kind of access to creative writing course at, at, um, at a university and that was where the poem imprint comes from so that was in 2012 when I wrote that poem and House Sitter um, originally well I'm not going to read that one so it doesn't matter but Imprint was written because my tutor told me I needed to explain the other poem more clearly because the Mm. the first poem that I wrote which was about IVF it was the first time I ever wrote about IVF um, so so Imprint is kind of an extended explanation it's kind of an expansion on what you did before yeah because there's imprint in the in the house sitter right there's imprint yes yeah yeah so house the poem house sitter existed first so i wrote house sitter after house sitting for somebody like 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 you're doing now um so we we went to look after tom my husband's boss's house in it's a really lovely posh house in the in a place in leeds called adel and um and and the poem is is just a true story basically that i essentially what happened was the cats they had a very very hairy 
and a very old cat which was not allowed upstairs and it went upstairs and it went in their daughter's bedroom so I had to go into the bedroom to fetch the cat and it was actually probably the first time I ever um, really really wanted to have a child was kind of when I went in that room so the the experience is from much longer ago than when I wrote the poem um but I wrote, I wrote, I wrote House Sitter. House Sitter's name was Imprint. That was the name of that poem originally. So I wrote about how it felt to go into a child's bedroom and it being quite an upsetting thing. Mm. Um, and my tutor at the time said to me, uh, a guy called Matt Clegg, who is a, a brilliant poet as well, um, said to me that he didn't really understand kind of what House Sitter was about. He wasn't really getting, he wasn't quite getting it. And what he was trying to tell me was, I think it. Uh, are you writing it for you or are you writing it for somebody else kind of thing? Because mm -hmm. if you're writing it for someone else, then it needs to be a bit clearer. That's um, an interesting distinction there because I think th yeah. there'd be certain type of people who would say, well, you just write everything for yourself and then what people yeah. glean, they glean. And But you, you feel that maybe through conversations with your editor that it is important to kind of put some breadcrumbs out there for the reader. Yeah, I, I think it definitely is because initially when, when I had the feedback from Matt about it, I just thought, well, Sodji, I don't care anyway. It's not for you, is it? I was like, A, you're a man, so I'm not writing about you and B, you don't get it, fine. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not for you. So so my reaction was quite like, you know, I was quite annoyed yeah. by it because I thought it was very, I thought it was clear enough. Um, there's a phrase in, in that particular poem that I use, um, I'm going to read a poem called For the Others um, on Mother's Day. And that poem uses the phrase uh, a two-week wait. Um, and a yeah. two-week wait is a technical um, IVF term for the time between uh, when if you have an embryo that, that's, you know, viable, so they, they, they want to, to give it a go, it's good enough quality to become a baby, um, they implant that into your womb. And then you have two weeks to wait um, and then you have a pregnancy test after the two weeks. Uh, and at that point, you know whether the embryo has, has stayed um, inside you. So House Sitter talks about me looking after a house and there's a two week wait until the people come back to the house kind of thing. So the two week wait bit was it is quite a subtle thing, I think, to put in yeah, a poem. Yeah, that's and, actually what I was going to ask you about in that poem. Yeah. And I, I noticed that in some of your other poems as well, as a, it's almost as like a motif, the, the two-week time span. It's mm -hmm. almost like you can start to measure your life in two weeks, <laughs> two-week increments. But you have a glossary mm -hmm. as well at the end of the pamphlet. Did that yeah. come after by the editor or was it your idea? Um, it was my idea to have it in there because it originally, so um, after I wrote after I wrote those two poems at university um, back in sort of 20, 2012, 2013-ish, I then wrote nothing again <laughs> until um, about 2021 and, and, um, um, and um, what happened was I, I wrote, I'd written kind of nearly all of imprints um, and um, I managed to apply for some grant funding. So I was able to pay um, the author Helen Mort, um, which is M-O-R-T. If, if people don't know Helen, she's uh, from Sheffield. She writes in all genres. She's incredible. So I was able to get a Sheffield Writers Grant to get Helen to mentor me to finish the pamphlet off. 
um, and we were initially we were playing with the idea of not telling people what the poems were about at all um, so the glossary kind of um, the glossary comes like right at the end of the book um, and I think because of some of the quotations I, w I was lucky enough to get acknowledgements that very clearly specifically say that it's about childlessness so I don't think we can kind of pretend that's not what it's about necessarily yeah. and you know we, I thought should we let people guess what it's about kind of thing mm -hmm. um, so that's where the glossary came from because the the explanations of the terms were originally at the end of the poems yeah. whereas we kind of bu bundled them all up as, as, as you've noticed you know and, and put them separately so yeah that was a kind of conscious thing we just want to take a moment to talk to you about fawn press an indie press that publishes poetry that takes you by the hand and leads you into the woods you can get 10 percent off all books on their website www.fawnpress.co.uk with the code poetry10 as small letters poetry10 you will find the code and the link in the description below. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an it's an unusual thing because um, the childless community, like the group um, Lighthouse Women, which I mentioned, and I'll say it now in case I forget later, that there are lots and lots and lots of sources of support. So um, if anyone is affected by anything I'll say, please do find me on Instagram and I can direct you to lots of people who can help you. Um, so that's the most important thing. But um, I think because the, the, the community is, is underground, really, there's a mass, there are thousands and thousands of people on this site that I talk to on a daily basis. Um, so it's a bit of a weird thing because they, they, they will know this. They know this. They know what it's about. They know what it's called um, because I've, I've talked about it on there and I've done, um, I've done things like this on there. But... but um, people who aren't affected by this won't see them because it's a private community you know you you have to apply to join and you have to be at a very particular point in your journey as well as someone who's had who's tried to have children um essentially you have to have stopped trying and you have to have decided that that's it you know you you are childless and you're not so you can't be somebody who is thinking about adoption for example you can't be someone who is looking into fostering you have to have come to the painful and you know horrible conclusion in a lot of ways that you that that's it you know you're not going to have children in your life you have to be there before you can join because it's really important not to trigger other people and not to upset other people who are there and if somebody starts saying oh actually I went to a conference on adoption the other day and I think everybody should adopt that would instantly you know upset most of the people in there so it's a very carefully curated thing um so yeah it, it, I mean for, from from a kind of purely from a gen genuine hand-on-heart point of view I would never have imagined in a million years that I would get people like Helen and and um Benjamin Zephaniah and Wendy Pratt and Chris Lanyon you know I, I would never have imagined I would get people saying stuff like that about it in the first place you know in terms of the quotes and things I really didn't expect that so in my mind it was just going to be like you know something like this not much on the back um I didn't even think it was going to be published to be honest I I was purely thinking um do I just want to be a performance person and just perform and just hope that I can get a following that way 
or self-publish it was the other option I was considering. So I, I really didn't think that it would get published in the way that it has been. So I'd love to say we planned it all out and everything, like where the where the footnotes are and that kind of thing. But it's just it's just all been a bit of a happy accident, really. I guess. I'm intrigued uh, in your story when you said uh, you did a creative writing course and then you stopped writing and then you went back yeah. to it and most of the <laughs> poems are from 2020. And I think, can you tell us more about how you started writing again and performing and that that part and what made you want to put a pamphlet together on childlessness? Yeah. Um, I think... I think well one of the one of the things that I did was that I knew I think I always knew that I had something so um when I wrote imprint and house sitter um and I wrote other poems as well at the same time so because it was a poetry module within a creative writing course that I did for for a year so I wrote about my family um I wrote about like the death of my father-in-law I wrote about love I wrote about um, being afraid to be a poet. I've got a poem about that, um, and then I stopped writing. Um, no, but so I, I knew I knew the imprint people when people read it, they kind of went, "Oh, okay." So I sent that off to um, the Bridport Prize, and, and as, you, as I put in my biography, you know, I got shortlisted for that, which was well, kind of. I think it was long listed actually. I think I might have phrased it wrong. I was basically I was in the group that that, that was read. So they were like the top 80 poems or whatever of the thousands that went in. You know, it was actually read by somebody, which is amazing for me. And it's changed since then as well. So it's, yeah, anyway. So the fact that somebody said it was any good made me think, oh, OK, maybe I should try and take this more seriously. Um, and I was fortunate that I had a friend who was part of a writing collective who were online um it's called the Scribblers Union. Um, it doesn't it run anymore, but it was originally started in Glasgow by um, a poet called Kevin P. Gilday, who's who's brilliant. Um, so I joined that and just started doing exercises again and, and writing again and looking around me again and thinking. And every time that we finished a term um, in the Scribblers Union, like a six-week term, it would end with a performance. So you would perform something that you'd written during those um, six weeks. So I did three kind of cycles of it. So I got three sort of poems from that, I suppose. Does that help? I've completely forgotten the question. <laughs> sorry. Is that where you How met I... Michael Peterson? No. My, what, sorry? Is that where you met Michael Peterson? A Scribblers Union? No, it wasn't actually. No, I met I met Michael. Um, well, I, I kind of I went to see Michael read, um, and I took. Um, I don't have her with me, so I can't show you. But um, for my poetry night, I it's run by a cat puppet. I might go and get her in a minute if if, if I can. But um, and I I went to see Michael with my with my cat puppet because I've seen Michael before. I love Michael. Michael's one of the best poets there is in in my view. I love his work so much. We just met him in Bristol. Yeah. You are sorry. We just met him in Bristol. Actually. Yeah. Did you? Oh God, he's God, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's like really he's nice. like my sort of um, wackier younger brother. I think. Yeah. I mean wackier because his hair is 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 even big. <laughs> mine's quite. Mine's flattened today. Mine. We have the same hair, and but he's. 
he's a lot taller and much more glamorous and um, much much more <laughs> much more successful and better looking than me as well. But but no, I love Michael. No, I, I I specifically went to see Michael with my cat puppet because I thought I bet I bet he'll come and play my poetry night, and he did. So yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't through um, it wasn't through Scribblers, but. Um, but yeah, so Scribblers Union really helped me because I knew every week we would be writing a poem. So I did I did the classic thing that writers um if if we do that question, I mean I'll <laughs> I'll flash this at you because it's very weird, but like this is this is me writing my ideas down in the middle of the night. Um so this is like the beginning of some sort of a it's not it's not really a poem, it's it's like it's an idea for a poem kind of thing. Um but because I was part of a writing collective, every time I had an idea, I actually wrote it down instead of thinking, oh, I'll remember it later. Um, so I ended up with a load of images and a load of ideas that, that became the poems in the book um, as a result of being part of um, Scribblers. The other thing that I did as well was I did an Arvin Foundation course again, um, which was online, one with Yomi um, Sode and Joelle Taylor which was a performance um, poetry course, which was mm. just like... Poof. So um, for the others on Mother's Day is the poem that I wrote on that course. That was like the thing that, that came out of that for me. So, yeah, so it was kind of... I think lockdown had a big part to play in it because we were obviously all doing this kind of thing in lockdown. Um, but I think the Bridport thing and then um, when I did the poem when I did for the others for for Joelle she she was quite moved by it and I thought oh, okay <laughs> that must be a good poem then so so I, I suppose my confidence and my kind of self-belief was growing very very, very small ways um but d during that whole time period I guess can you read us that that one do you want me to read that one yeah yeah okay yeah great so I'll just go and find it this is from um 2021 I think it was when I wrote this yeah uh, and I did write it on Mother's Day um, in the childless community we call Mother's Day Others Day because that's how we feel we feel othered by it <clears throat> so for the others on Mother's Day you ask me if and then you ask me why why I didn't have why I wouldn't have why I couldn't have. You ask as though there's an answer, a distinction, a hierarchy of grief to arrange your face for. Let me show you. The air-locked lunchbox I hid my syringes in, the brightly lit toilets I injected in between the meeting and the night out between the next course and the last bus between everyone else and the two of us. Let me show you. The needle marks between my umbilical wound and my always empty womb. Let me tell you. About summer 2012, the two-week wait I spent at home watching those technical goddesses running and jumping and swimming, those women. Oh, how they made their bodies fly when I couldn't keep a cell in mine sometimes I think I didn't try my counsellor said the best way to answer is sadly not not sadly 
sadly not. Sadly, the knot untied didn't meet the right girl or right guy. It is not a choice to have a terrible upbringing or to be too scared of repetition or to be or to fear the halt of the pulse inside you or to be too afraid of the one beside you or to be too poor to continue to try to. Let me show you how we drown our reasons into one. We are no body of water. We are ground water. We pool, form rock-bound aquifer. We seep through convenient cracks in the tarmac. <laughs> Your face. Do you think you've got it right? Let me take you to the Mac makeover booth. Try the number one, the Audrey, the averted eye, resilient lip, an angle to hold your head at. The number two, the princess die with black coal around your eyes so that everyone can see you cry. What's wrong? Not want to be categorised. So come, drown in us, if you like. Thanks. Brilliant. Yeah. Your performance really adds a dimension to that poem as well because, you know, we've we've read it and... You, it, it seems to me like you kind of you've built up a way of doing it from performing it live, mm -hmm. but it really adds a different um, feeling from it. So. Yeah, and in the the written version, there's that one line that takes a whole page, which is mm -hmm. sometimes I think I didn't try. Yeah. Um, how do you navigate between having a poem for performance and then putting it for the page? to be read for the page? Um, I think I think a lot of my poems come from one idea that I've had and they kind of spread outwards, I suppose. So I think I'd never studied um, performance poetry before I did the course with Joelle and Yomi. Um, I, I don't really like the distinction. I don't, I, 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 I don't know. I do, if, if it makes you happy, then I like it. Do you know what I mean? If it's good for you, then that's great. I think poetry is just poetry. I, I don't really like the idea of page poetry and performance because I think there inevitably, there seems to be a bit of snobbery sometimes between one thing being, you know, better than the others. Um, you know, it's like the Oscars or poetry prizes or anything like that I, I'm not I'm not a big fan of prizes and kind of um well not prizes but just judgments I'm a big fan of prizes oh I'd love some prizes but um, <laughs> mostly for like neat handwriting that that would be my idea of a good prize um mm. but I think when you're pitting things against each yeah, other I suppose the competition nature, yeah. Yeah. isn't healthy um so I didn't know like Joelle and Yomi showed us poems um like Denez Smith has an incredible poem. Um, he, he, they, they called it Heaven for Black Boys when in the clip that we saw, but I know it has a lot of other names. Um, and we watched it and it was the way, I never realized that the poems kind of build and they build and they build and they build and they do that and then they come down and then they come down. And they, so I didn't realize about the kind of Dynamics. the ebb and the flow of performance mm. poetry until I did the course really. Um, so there's sometimes I think I didn't try is on a page on its own because um, there's probably maybe 
three or four lines in the in in imprint that I still find really hard to say and that's one of them uh, because it makes me really sad because I should have said at the start as well you know I, I'm I'm doing all right nowadays I couldn't sit here and do this if I wasn't you know I've, I'm a long way along the journey of uh, the kind of grief cycle of, of um, involuntary childlessness but I, I did you know I, I did think I didn't try I, did, I thought I didn't try hard enough that if I'd have tried harder it would have it would have worked for me that somehow you know I could have made myself pregnant just by wanting to be pregnant um, and obviously you know it wasn't my fault but I thought it was I thought you know uh, the technical the goddesses that I refer to in those poems um, it's London 2012 so I was ironically sat at home watching the, the Olympics, Olympics um, when I was waiting um, just well in, in, in the aftermath actually of, of the, the, the not becoming pregnant so it, I just sat and cried all the way through it and it was happy tears sometimes like I was so happy for them you know that they were winning you, things it you was kind so of drew exciting a comparison between kind of like physical feats in terms of yeah. like them what they could do in um in the olympics with their bodies like you say and you mm -hmm. kind of draw in a comparison with your own physicality in that way yeah 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 because you know it just didn't it wouldn't stay um my therapist used to say because you get a therapist when you do ivf and and afterwards you know um, whether it works or, it's, or it doesn't, I think. But anyway, I had one afterwards because it hadn't. And, and she said to me that I had to imagine my womb. Um, this, is, this is when I was trying, sorry. So when I was trying, my therapist said, you have to imagine your womb as being like a harbour, um, you know, and it's and the water's really calm and it's a really nice place and this egg's going to come in and it's going to, you know, stay there and sort of become a baby kind of thing. And, and for me, it was just... I couldn't imagine that. I couldn't see that. I just kept seeing like waves crashing everywhere and the boats becoming unmoored or, you know, I couldn't go with that image because it didn't feel, it just, it didn't really feel like it was going to work. Um, and I think that's where sometimes I think I didn't try comes from because when you do something because, you know, you, you don't think there's going to be a good outcome, but you do it anyway, which we did because we were just so desperate, you know, that we thought, well, we'll try. But right from the start, I didn't, believe that I was ever going to become pregnant and, and indeed I didn't so yeah it's it's a very difficult line that one so that's why it's on its own because I think and I think for a lot of women as well there is this thing about IVF because the poem is a lot about IVF there's the needles there's the punch marks you know there's all that sort of stuff mm. some some people think that if you didn't have 14 rounds of IVF or if you didn't bankrupt yourself like when I'm saying, you know, it's not a crime to be too poor to continue to try to. I just mean, you know, it's, it costs a lot of money to do IVF, um, and and you you feel like I I had I had two rounds because one of them just failed completely and I didn't get any eggs at all, and then the second round we got two eggs, which is really 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 low. Uh, you would normally have at least double figures of of um, viable eggs that you could try to make a child with. Um, so I, I only had two rounds and I say I only had because I still feel like I didn't, you know, I didn't have 14 rounds. I didn't keep kind of, mm. you know, hitting, hitting myself against that wall. Um, and I was very lucky because I had a specialist who's a very, very moral, very good person, um, who said that it's, it would be unethical if we treat you anymore because you've got less than 5% chance basically of, of, becoming pregnant this way so they were saying you you either use donor eggs or donor sperm or you adopt 
they were like, those are your choices. You know, you can't have a baby. It's very, very unlikely, you know. So, but yeah, there's still this little voice in my head that goes, well, if I'd have started when I was 25 or if I, yeah. So it's very hard to kind of just go, look, you, you did your best. You know, you tried your best and your best, your best is good enough. It mm. is good enough, but you still feel as a woman, I think if you don't have a baby, then why not? You know, why didn't you adopt one then? There, there is that feeling for me anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah. And of course you have a poem in the collection about that as well, about mm-hmm. people, you know, asking about adoption. Yes. Have you thought about adoption? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The answer is yes. Okay, not <laughs> not in a nasty way, but if you ever think of asking that question to somebody, yeah. don't ask them. Because there's kind yes, of a prompt. Have. It's kind of a prompt inherent in that question as well, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. and it's. It, I've been asked that question by so many really genuinely lovely. Some of my favourite people in the world have asked me that question, and it, and it's just a kind. For a lot of people, it's a kindness. It's them kind of thinking, "Oh my God, it's so awful. How can I help? How can I make it better?" But the answer is just you know not by saying that just let the person if they want to talk to you they will you know I wouldn't I I could talk to people about it now if they want to talk to me about it I mean you know if I'm not if I'm not doing something like this then I generally wouldn't tell the whole room about my life experiences people have to be there has to be a reason for me to do it like if I think I'm going to help somebody then fine I'll do it but otherwise I would generally rather talk about other things because you know that that was well it depends on the situation doesn't it but I don't generally go on about it in public (laughs) Mm. and yeah so how does poetry as a genre of expression allow you to communicate about this experience differently yeah um I'm just looking for my notes because I wrote down some ideas about this one it's a really sounds like Millie's a natural poet because it's, um, it, it sounds like everything you write comes out as poetry. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a bit, it's a very flat, flat, very flattering thing of you to say. Um, I think I've, I've, what, what, I've, what, I've, what I've written down here in my beautiful handwriting um, is that I, I, I think that I think poetry. I've got a line in um, a poem called "This Is Disenfranchised Grief" that goes, "You're the invisibility." And also the cloak, the choking constriction, the lump in the throat. So it's kind of like being being the invisibility and also the cloak. So I think that poetry allows you to say things that are unsayable to, to people who can hear them. So I think being the invisibility and the cloak, it's kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, you can you can hear if, if you want to hear what that particular poem is about, you'll hear it. But I'm not going to. I'm not necessarily going to get right up in your face and go, this poem is saying this, because poetry doesn't do that. Poetry is is uh, gentler than that. And and I think, you know, you can have, you can have, I think poetry kind of cuts through the sort of, um, I can't think of a better word, swearing alert, bullshit, um, <laughs> just cuts through things just very easily. And I think you can have one image, um, like I talk about, um, have have you thought about adoption? Your question is like a shotgun suddenly pointed at my throat. And when I perform that, I do do that when I'm talking because it, it's upsetting for people. And I think you can have one image like that that can bring lots of emotions to people. So someone might feel quite angry for me. Somebody might feel quite sad for me if, if they were associating with the feeling. 
um, somebody else who'd asked that question and maybe has got children might actually think, oh, okay, I understand why I shouldn't ask that question now. So mm. I think you can have one image that can do um, so many different things. And I think the last thing, I, I think with poetry, because of the way that poetry is taught at school, um, you pay attention or at least I always did. Like when, when I was a kid, we used to have like story time. We all used to sit and we'd be really quiet and we'd listen. And I think with poetry, um, unlike with prose, I, I feel like if it's, a, if it's a fiction text, then there's a lot of stuff going on in fiction. You know, there's a lot of descriptions of things where the characters are and what the characters look like and all that kind of stuff, which is great. I love, I love fiction. I'm a huge reader of anything. Um, but with poetry, you don't get that. You've got somebody kind of leaning in re really closely to you and just sort of whispering something to you mm -hmm. and just saying, can you hear this? Can you, you know, can you see it? Can you, can you touch it? Can you understand it? It's a very kind of intimate way of writing, I think. I think that's why yeah, I like it. non-tangible. Um, yeah. You have to use your imagination to fill in a lot of the amb ambiguities and it's one of the strengths yeah. of poetry as well but yeah sometimes for maybe beginners it's a little bit more difficult when when you're thinking yeah. literally you know when you're saying but okay well there's that kind of frustration with students when they're learning poetry where it's like what is it about just tell yeah, me what it's about yeah just tell me what it is <laughs> yeah. so i can write it down I and get a seat yeah <laughs> i remember yeah, that i remember true. being that teacher it's like well it's about <laughs> this if you want but you know i don't i don't really want to tell you what it's about because yeah. i might be wrong you know yeah it yeah. puts you in that active listening position mm. when it's not obvious and you you just hear about the person's experience mm -hmm. and uh it, there's not a lot of other spaces where that happens you know usually even if uh you talk about something in um, in like an activist way for example or mm -hmm. you know a statement is kind of meant for a dialogue like a reaction yeah. Where I would say yeah. poems just you take it in and then it's more about the listening. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's kind of like film. I mean, I, I did I did um, my degrees in American um, literature and history and politics and film. And when I did film, I never understood. Um, there's this thing called mise en scène, which is like the term that they use for like how a character is dressed or the room that a character is in or you know so everything in a film I never realized until I studied it like everything is meant you know like someone like I'm wearing green you know because um I don't know I'm mocking the fact that I can't have children or I'm wearing a fertile color or this is like this is a bit like scales on a fish so maybe I'm a mermaid and I'm kind of like you know bringing you onto the rocks or and you know and I mean it isn't well. it's literally I actually wanted to wear something else but it was yeah. really creased so I put this on instead but but in a yeah. film it's like everything you know it's is deliberate it. like the yeah. length of the shot whether it's a close-up whether it's a so I think poetry is very much like that it's like everything mm. is meant everything is deliberate and if and you can enjoy it without knowing the person's intention so with some of my poems people have said some things to me about them and and, and I've gone oh okay yeah that's that's nice you know I, that wasn't what I meant mm. when I wrote it necessarily but I love the fact that there's enough ambiguity there for people to um to see things that I didn't consciously put there you know there is a lot of unconscious and um 
subconscious things I think in, in, in poetry generally that you didn't necessarily mean it when you wrote it but now it yeah. you know or, yeah, or I, even I found time that, moving on I found Sorry, that with my on. writing I found that with my writing as well yeah. when you when you look back years later you say oh maybe I did mean something there <laughs> like the, yeah. com- the, the subconscious and that's a strange phenomenon to me because you kind of think I've, you intend everything yeah you definitely and particularly when you're writing because it's very much like you know you've got a pen or you've got your keyboard and you, your, in, your intention is is very strong to say something but later on you might find out that that wasn't what you meant to say um I mean I, I've certainly written poems where at the time I thought a lot of what I was describing in that poem was okay and then years later I've read it and gone I was not I was clearly not behaving properly there or I wasn't very well when I did that or you know so so yeah it is interesting how how things change over time I think for me as well a strength of poetry um is that it doesn't it doesn't have to be necessarily kind of morally correct all the time um it's Mm. I I say to Eloise all the time that a poetry kind of captures how someone feels right it's an expression of like passion and feeling and emotion Mm -hmm. and yeah and compared to, for example, when people make political points or moral points, you know, we've always got, we're always kind of checking to make sure something's correct. We're always yeah, kind of like, we find yeah. outrage if something's wrong. You right? try to do like a universal statement that encompasses everything that you think. Whereas yes. in poetry, you can think, okay, I'm writing this from a place of anger. That doesn't mean I agree with it almost, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can adopt a position, but not kind of, yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I think that w- is what helps people be-, be more frank when they perform poetry, when they write poetry as well, because they don't feel the same burden to be 100% um, mm-hmm. morally correct <laughs> in everything yeah. they say. But of course, there's a flip side to that, which is, you know, if somebody writes poetry that is like people find it abhorrent, you know, there's still going to be a reaction to that, right? There's still going to oh, be yeah, people who say, yeah, oh, we don't absolutely. want you to say that yeah um, so there is a limit <laughs> but I think people yeah. feel a bit freer to express themselves in poetry yeah, yeah. definitely it yeah it is really interesting I could carry on I'm, I'm thinking about all kinds of ho- like horror films and things like that now and the way that <laughs> horror films do that but I'll, I'll not go there <laughs> that's really interesting but, uh, I mean I can go there but you know how horror films express kind of people's darkest desires and fears from, and worries yeah it's almost for, like for a me, I, I, I was thinking of, you know, like um, it's the transgressive element of it, I suppose. Mm. It's the kind of like we're going to do this thing and we're all playing along and we know, you know, we, we're, we're going, woo, yeah, we're trying to scare you. But with films like um, like with Carrie, if, if you've ever seen that, have you seen mm. Carrie? Yeah, the Stephen you know, the, King adaptation. Yeah, yeah, so there's there's and and the same with Ring actually, uh, with Ring or or the Ring or Ringu or mm. whatever you like to call it. There's the Japanese one or in, the English one. Yeah, oh the Japanese one for yeah. me, but um, but yeah. you know you can tell that just by looking at me, probably um, cheesy Guardian reading person that I am. But um, there's a moment in both those films where um, something comes into you know so. <laughs> I don't want to do spoilers, so if, if people haven't seen Carrie, stick your fingers in your ears. But at the end of Carrie, the the main 
kind of the, the the kindest, loveliest character who does try to actually help Carrie has a nightmare where she she you know, she goes to the grave and and it says Carrie burn in hell or something on this gravestone and and she stood there and it's all like la 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 and it's very lovely and soft focus and then this hand comes like out of the grave to try and grab her. Um, and it's the same as in is in the ring, you know, that that Sada Sadapo, the the really terrifying creature in that, actually comes comes up to the telly and goes, I'm not going to do it, but gets closer and closer and closer and closer, and then actually climbs out of the TV into the room, and it's things like that. I think poetry, I think poetry can do that. I think people think that poetry is this really like, you know. Shakespearean de dum de dum de dum de dum kind of thing and actually poetry can really like you know it could really shock you mm-hmm. if, if you're prepared to sit and let it you know in a way that I think a lot of um yeah I mean most good art can you know there are a lot of songs um that are that are, the lyrics sound like the singer is saying one thing and actually they're saying the other you know there, there are, there's a lot of double meaning I think but mm. I do think poetry is particularly good at kind of puncturing something suddenly and you you think you're getting you know a lovely vanilla ice cream and you're actually getting some butter that's been shaped onto a cone and you're like yes it's not what I paid for <laughs> you know I think I think yeah. <laughs> sorry this is this is my brain oh my God, just imagine licking that oh my god <laughs> shot, I mean, how unpleasant would that like be? Just that water there. And it being that vodka, deserves you know? its poem, yeah. yeah. Yeah, particularly if it was like earwax flavoured butter or just something <laughs> like that. Like, oh, anyway, enough facial expressions. Yeah, I mean, th- there's some, uh, I think, like attractions in Japan where everything is not what it seems to be. Like, uh, oh, clever. Like yeah. You'll walk I'll... in the cereal aisle and then they're all cushions, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. <laughs> Heya, I hope you're enjoying listening to this episode. This episode is sponsored by Write Bloody UK. They're an independent publisher that publishes bloody beautiful poetry books. You get 10% off all books on their website, writebloodyuk.co.uk, with the code POETRY2IS. That's 10% off with the code POETRY2IS on their website, writebloodyuk.co.uk. Hope you enjoy it! Some poetry? Yeah, do you want to read? <laughs> oh, well, uh, if we must. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. Would you like to what read? This like? is uh, disenfranchised grief. Uh huh. Um, I think you said you wanted me just to explain the term before yeah. I read it. Um, yeah. So disenfranchised grief is um, it's a thing. So when I say that, I mean um, people have written uh, PhDs about it. There's published literature about it. It's a psychological term um that was coined by a guy called ken doka which is d-o-k-a um and uh, disenfranchised i mean everybody knows grief i think the disenfranchised part of it is that um you're not allowed to demonstrate this grief it's something that you can't show in public um is the way that that i'm taking it so uh for example i had a cat called atticus um, who died uh, a couple of years ago now. He was, he was the worst cat in the world. He used to he used to swipe. He used to hide under sofas. He used to go, Meh. like, whenever you came near him. But I still cried like a baby in the car park of the vets when, you know, when he died because it was really sad. But if I'd have gone to work and cried at work like that, people would have just been like, oh, it's only a cat. Mm. Um, and and for some people, their pets are the most, the, the thing they love most in the world, you know. Um 
so there's that example and then another example would be if you are in a relationship with somebody and the culture that you're in doesn't either allow that relationship or value that relationship so obviously um some cultures you know you can't love people of, of the same sex for example or it might be that you're having an affair with somebody and they die and you're obviously not able to show that grief in public because you shouldn't you know you shouldn't be doing it anyway kind of thing so disenfranchised grief is is grief that isn't sort of publicly acknowledged or acceptable um right that's a very long explanation oh um Sorry, I should add as well. Um, I'm just looking in my book because this is quite. This is um, this poem is a collaborative poem. So um, I asked. This was Mother's Day, 2022, um, and I asked women on the private site that I've talked about to tell me um, how their grief, how their disenfranchised grief felt when it was at its most painful. Um, and then I turned that into a poem trying to explain what the feeling feels like to people. Um, so I'd like to just credit the, the women who contributed. There were a lot of women, not all of them want to be named. So the ones that have allowed me to use their names are Fiona Hazel, Louise Watson and Sarah Markham. So they're also the authors of this poem. This is Disenfranchised Grief. You've heard of grief. Imagine you can't say, I miss my mum, my dad, my gran, or similar, every day because nobody openly feels like that and they push you away. This is disenfranchised grief. Imagine chatting cosy with a brand new tribe of women, stories of birth, that tide of love, the joy that's worth the ruin. One of them hides her scars and prays to free her inner screaming. This is disenfranchised grief. Imagine being lost inside an endless wood, tall trees like grown-up children. The path is motherhood, but the saplings are not yours, so you stumble through the mud. This is disenfranchised grief. You're the slug at your family's salt-flinging party. You're the viewpoint dismissed by the Twitterati. You're the nail-tattooed palm at the pregnancy announcement. Your movement in the symphony of womanhood is dissonant. You're the mad woman in the attic, the girl on the train. Career woman, black widow, you don't have a name. You're pitiful like Cat Lady or scorned like poor, poor Jen. You're every witch that ever died for living just like men. You're the invisibility and yet also the cloak. You're the choking constriction, the lump in the throat. You're lying in the road, but the traffic hasn't stopped. You're falling down a chasm with no limit to the drop. This is disenfranchised grief. Imagine that wherever you go, it is the blackest night. And even when it's time to sleep, there's no chance of respite. The escape hatch is rusted shut. You're weighed down by this fight. This is disenfranchised to grief. Imagine that your body is a cast you drag around. Inside is dust-drowned space, a fly tip. A dumping ground. You wish someone would come and burn this debris down. 
this is disenfranchised grief. Imagine that it's spring, everybody's favourite season. Everywhere spills life from the sky, the ground protein. You cry when you see lambs and you cannot say the reason. This is disenfranchised grief. It's the stinging, it's the stalling, it's those natural instincts calling, the paralysis, the falling. It's the bruises that don't fade. It's the choices you can't make. It's the tearing, blistering ache. It's the bones that won't heal. It's the feelings you can't feel. It's the toys that you can't buy or the clothes that make you cry. It's the names that you can't say. It's the future that lurks unmade. This is disenfranchised grief. Thank you. It's an incredibly powerful poem. Just Thanks. I'm just so leaning over here for a minute. <laughs> just going off stage there. <laughs> Hello, I'm back now. <laughs> so, so dense. So dense with... Uh, so many metaphors. I've never been called dense before. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not the insult one. <laughs> No, no, I like it. Yeah, no, no, just, no, no I, I know so, what you mean. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, just so jam-packed with. Yeah, just I just love all heavy the emotion. the metaphors to express what it is, and mm. it's almost like every metaphor could be its own poem. Mm, yes. You know, you could wow, take a line and just think what what would happen in that in that reality. You the the cloak and the invisibility in the cloak. That's our poem about that. No, I went off down a crazy train of thought just trying to think about that the other day I was like well how could it be both and how would that work and, and that was about yeah. two hours of my time <laughs> just sitting going yeah. mm. I mean so, it's yeah. a powerful poem in the sense of naming emotions that don't have names as well mm. like, like it, yeah. it works it works as a poem that tries to put a name to something that you can't name as well it's kind of you, you're centering a, around it you're trying to um, hone in on a feeling. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the then, well, then cause the name is grief, you see, and, and that's that's the main thing that I learned in everything mm. was that it's grief. That's all it is. It's grief. It's mm. just that people don't understand. Like I, I once read a really nice description about grief being like a, a rock, like a great big rock that someone's just dumped in the middle of your bedroom and initially it's like you sort of squeeze around the edge of it because you don't want to hurt yourself on it and it's in the way and it stops you from getting over to the other side of the room and you spend all your time going around the outside of it and then when you're getting maybe a little bit stronger you start kind of just you know maybe crawling over it or or putting something on it so that you can step over it and and it becomes as though in the end, with the rock, I think the idea is that you might just have a picnic on it or, you know, you might chuck some cushions on it and make it into an accessory. But, but you know, the grief that you feel, you it becomes part of you, you know, like it's part of the room. A little segue there from Cat Lady to Nano's Poetry. Do you want to tell us? Yes, yeah, that, is, that was a bit of an in-joke, yeah. Nine Life's Poetry is the name of the uh, poetry now? Yeah, yeah. So um, nine lives is um, yeah. So nine nine lives started out. It's a it's a spoken word um, poetry night um, in Sheffield, where I live in in South Yorkshire. Um, so I started it up um, because I performed um, 
which one was it? It was for the others on Mother's Day at the Huddersfield Literary Festival. They do a poetry slam. Um, I don't know how much slamming you guys do, but it was the first time I'd ever done a poetry slam. Um, will people be familiar with that term or, or yeah, I, I don't need to explain are, it or anything? People are pretty familiar at this point. With yeah, yeah. Poetry slam. yeah, I I didn't explain it the other day and then someone was like, I had no idea what you're talking about, so that's cool. Um, Yeah, so I did a slam because um, I thought it would be interesting just to try that kind of performance. And it was chaired by, it was run by a lady called Rose Kondo, um, that's C-O-N-D-O, and she's a poet, she's a brilliant poet. And it was the most supportive, loveliest poetry slam in the known universe. Everyone was so kind. It was a really lovely vibe. It was wonderful, really nice experience. Were um, you expecting but, it to be a bit more competitive, a bit more? Well, I I think some slams are. I, I think it depends on the slam vibes. And some people really like that. So, you know, like you get like a rap battle or something, you know, like an eight mile or whatever, or, or just generally in, in hip hop um where everyone's like oh you know let's 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 have some wordplay and let's take each other on kind of thing that would be my idea of hell <laughs> I would yeah. really not. or at least not at the moment because my stuff's not like that you know I don't I don't have any um I I do have there are I think there's definitely one joke in imprint that there, there may be two um but they're not very many jokes in in my stuff at the moment um so the adversarial nature of it, I suppose, varies depending on the slam you choose to go yeah, to. Yeah, there's um, a big advantage to kind of using humour live, I think, you know, I think it gets people yeah. on your side. And I think, I think, I think, I guess like with a lot of comedians when they get heckled and stuff, I guess you probably have some comebacks that you already know and you can use and I'm sure there's a, a real art to it. But for me, um, so for me, slamming at the Huddersfield Literary Festival, it was a lovely experience, but I came away from it thinking, um, I don't think it's right for me and I need oh, something. Interesting. What, what was it about it that wasn't quite? Um, I, to, it, 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 was, it was because of the nature of my work, I think, because what I was doing was, um, and because my night is an open mic night, so I... I I specifically wanted an open mic night that somebody like me would perform at. So I, I, I did the be the change you want to see in the world thing. I thought, okay, I'll, it doesn't exist in Sheffield because it, it didn't at the time. Um, so I made one. Um, but the thing about the slam that got me, it was really just my own work. It was because I'd stood up on a stage and, and said a lot of very, very upsetting, difficult things to say out loud because I was much more raw. This is probably about two years ago. I'd never really performed... I think it was the first time I actually performed at all was a slam. And and everyone was lovely. Everyone was like, whoa, that was, everyone was, you know, giving it all of that. And then the thing that got me was I went to the toilet and um, Lulu will know this. Well, you'll know this too, Tom. You know, there's always a 10 mile queue for the ladies toilet. So I was stood in the queue for the toilet at the halftime break and no one spoke to me. Mm. No one said anything. And I, I don't know what my face was doing because I have an unfortunate face. You'll have, you'll have seen it several <laughs> times during this probably where I've just been like looking like I really hate you or something and my face just does stuff. I, I don't know. It's not my fault. But So maybe I, I just had a face on but nobody said like, not not even are you all right because I wouldn't have wanted that but no one said, oh, how, how are you finding it then? Or, you know, just some chit chat. It was like they were scared of me because I'd got up and, and said, because, you know, there's sometimes I think I didn't try, you know, was, you know, there was a lot, there was, there was, there was a sight, I can feel sometimes in a room, the quality of the silence changes, mm. and you can feel people kind of go, 
you know, like, whoa, that's a bit, that's a bit strong. And what it is, is they're worrying about me. And it's like, I'm all right. Mm. I couldn't do this if I wasn't. I couldn't stand here if I wasn't. Oh, I'm okay. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to for me, you know, that's you, that's fine. So that was what, yeah, that was why I didn't like it just because I felt like it wasn't, and it was no fault of, of, of anybody's, but I think the audience didn't know how to treat somebody who was doing sad stuff because it's a competition so you're there to be you know well done and yeah. you can't really say well done to a woman who's just said that they, they think they're a dreadful person and you know that's it, a really interesting distinction yeah yeah so we did so nine lives poetry is um it's it's nine lives as in a cat's got nine lives so um we started out so i started out with a brilliant poet from sheffield called tom juniper um and tom helped um get the night going so tom knows all the people on the poetry scene i didn't know anyone in sheffield because i'd not really done it before so tom was really and tom hosted it as well to start off with so they are like a very experienced poet and a host and very very good at all of that sort of thing so we started at a cafe called cafe number nine which was one of the reasons it was nine lives and then we're both massive cat fans so that was the other reason. But the final reason is is the format. So we have seven slots every week, every month for open micers. So people just fill in the Google form and say, yes, I want to do open mic. This is what my pronouns are. You know, this is like, this is my intro kind of thing. So they tell me how to introduce them and stuff. So we have seven people doing open mic and then we have two sort of paid performers. Um, and they're usually an up and coming kind of local person and then somebody who's like a national nationally recognized poet so we were talking about michael peterson earlier on so michael's played nine lives poetry michael not only did michael play it but he brought holly mcnish with him as well but she actually came as well and michael bless him such a beautiful human said oh you can put you can put holly on the poster you know and and more people will come if you put Holly on the poster. So I put Holly on the poster and we, we did make a profit of, uh, we made our, our, our only profit that we made ever this year on that one, which was £65 profit we made. <laughs> and I spent it all on sweets and I was, and I enjoyed myself buying lots of sweets. But um, yeah, so we've had Michael, we've had um, Helen Mort, we've had Toria Garber. Um, who else have we had? Kevin Peagle Day I've mentioned we've got Will Harris is our next poet coming up um, and Will is playing with um, a really amazing Sheffield poet called Beth Davies who's just won a new poets award um, we've got Andrew McMillan is coming in October I think it is so I don't know how I'm doing this if anybody wants to know I don't know I just I just go up to people with a cat on my hand <laughs> go like do you want to come and play a poetry night and usually they say yes because because yeah. poets are lovely poets are really nice you know yeah I'd like to see a recording of that sometime <laughs> you, you, honestly captures you the, yeah. the easiest the easiest one was Michael Peterson by a country mile because his his new book's called the cat print so so he as soon as I even got him you know he, he was yeah just show him a cat he'll do anything yeah. um in my head <laughs> the most difficult one was Will Harris because I don't know Will very well yet but Will mm. appears to be quite a, a very serious sort of sensible person like when he he read um He's got a book out called Brother Poem, which is incredible. Um, and he was reading from Brother Poem at the Verve um, Poetry Festival. That was where I came across him. And I was a bit scared. I was like, shall I show him the cat? 
maybe I shouldn't show him so the cat. You, so I was you, like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to like the cat. And he was all over the cat. He was yeah, just like, so oh, what a great cat. You know? So you were at Verve Festival as, as well. Yeah, we were there. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, I must just have, I must have missed you guys somehow. Um, yeah, because um, Devjani told me she'd, she'd been and done um your podcast i think on the on the sunday i think it was she mentioned yeah no saturday sunday yeah 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 um oh it was amazing was it wasn't it good it was so good i was just hyper the entire festival because it was just like everything's so good i can't do it all i want to do it all yeah it was amazing yeah well should we round out the episode with uh another poem um so this poem, Wild Swans, um, was written about a place called Saxion in Sweden. Uh, Saxion just means Axe Lake. Uh, me and my husband went to stay in a log cabin near uh, Stockholm and I did a lot of wild swimming. So that's the setting of this poem. So Wild Swans. The swans are tired of this cold place. They have gathered sleekly on the shore, their black feet the colour of boiled nettles. Some drift in the shallows, some have young. I want to be here. Instead, I orbit what I lack. I beat my wings at the swans, then they beat theirs back. On edge. My husband Tom takes photos while I creep in so I can experience my life with me in it. Remember nice things we've also done. I want to be here. Instead, I orbit what I lack. I beat my wings at the swans and they beat theirs back. I'm sculling, ironically, I think. Legs trailing behind me. Knees bobbing slackly on the surface. The only part of me that is warm. Then, eleven swans fly over, singular, against the sky. The sun glinting on their crowns. Sloughing off their nettle socks. Their gift to me. Don't dwell on pain. I beat my wings at the swans and they beat theirs back. We are all swans now, breaking into cloud vapour skin. It once made us howl the plunge into cold. It can't hurt us more than it already has. I beat my wings at the swans and they beat theirs back. I feel a trembling peace begins somehow in the middle of this Swedish lake. So I flow through the water back to tom part woman part swan thank you that's wonderful and marvelous Let's go off stage again <laughs> hello thank you very much yes something something graceful to end the episode of that's yeah, lovely. This, this i know it's in the middle of the pamphlet but that's why i, I wanted you to read it at the end because I feel like it's the only poem that has a relationship with an animal. Mm-hmm. And it, in a way, it kind of transcends um, your thoughts and who you can be as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, to yeah. me, it, it, there's something about it that has some kind of inner peace to it. You know, 
it's like mm-hmm. coming coming to terms uh and yeah feeling free mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, definitely i mean it was it, it was a true story um that i was because um yeah i love i love swimming and i love i love i loved it in sweden because there's so many lakes i live uh, i live in sheffield where we have loads of reservoirs because it's an industrial city so they built a lot of um artificial sources of water to to um so that we could um run um steel so we could create steel basically and and for the turbines to turn so we're not allowed to swim in the reservoirs we're not supposed to swim in the reservoirs whereas in sweden it's like everyone's swimming in the lakes um mm. and the beating your wings is the kind of you know when you lay on the back and you do mm. and you do that with your arms so i was doing that with my arms and looking up in the sky and all these birds were flying over yeah. and they were kind of doing it above me and it was just you know sometimes in your life where you just go I, I will always be here I'll always be in this moment like I, it's, it's it's such a strong yeah. feeling and it was just the kind of waving at them and they were waving at me and, and I could hear the wings beating because it was so quiet where we were and it was just like and, and I did think and obviously I, I didn't have a pen paper handy yeah. <laughs> but it was such a kind of massive image that I just thought I'm, I'm definitely I'm writing about this this I've is got... this is something it's funny. I've got a similar experience on the lake in the in the oh, top cool. of the mountains in the Pyrenees. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Brilliant. Yeah. As, as you say, it's the kind of place where you know you're always going to be there. You can always yeah. mentally go back. You know. <laughs> yeah, I want to go back. The only problem is, I think if I ever go back to that particular lake, I'll just be really disappointed if it doesn't <laughs> happen again. I'll just be like, "Where are they? Come yeah. on, I'm here." Yeah. They should be here. Just be waiting <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd be like, come on, you know, where are you? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate, no, thank appreciate you, you taking thank the you time to me. speak to us. Yeah. And it was really nice going through your poems and hearing your thoughts around um, the construction of them and the meanings behind them and all the ambiguities. No, it's been a pleasure. And I hope you enjoy listening to the episode. And Thank you for listening to Poetry to Your Ears. This podcast is published as a newsletter on Substack. All of our content is published for free, but if you would like to support our work, you can become a paid subscriber. This will help us afford transcripts for the deaf and hard of hearing community and anyone who would benefit from reading the podcast alongside hearing it. You can also support us for free by rating the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or writing a review on Apple Podcast. Share the show with your friends, fellow poets and poetry lovers. If you want to interact with us, you can follow us on at poetry to your ears on Instagram and at poetry to number two your ears on Twitter or you can also write a comment on Substack. If you're American and you're listening to us, send us a message. Half of our listeners are American. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time!